Good morning to you. How are you doing? Are you really well? Yeah, you're not seeming totally sure about that. I'm getting the same feel that David had. I hope you're feeling really well. Um, just we always want to say as we gather and, and have that sense, especially when you come to, come to speak, that we, we come with so many different stories, don't we? And uh, I, I, you, I hope you've heard me say this before. I feel it so strongly. And I know I share it with the rest of the team. If you're here today, and, and this is a really difficult place to be for whatever kind of reasons, and there is a truth that sometimes actually church can be the hardest place to be, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for being here. You are so welcome. And if you're, if you're visiting us today, you know, you're not quite sure why you're here. Just add my welcome to David's as well. You, you, are, you are a guest of the Lord Jesus Christ, so you couldn't be invited by anybody better. You're his personal guest here today. So it's great to, just great to be with you. I want to just uh, plug two books. I'm going to mention them uh, and I haven't got enough hands to, uh, to juggle later. Um, there's this one, Cafe Theology by Michael Lloyd, um, that's on our bookstall and, uh, and also we could order in for you. Um, a little bit in the series, as, as I'll explain in a moment, that we're doing at the moment. We're just doing a little bit of theology. That's thinking about God. That's all it is. We're doing a little bit of thinking about God. And uh, because of the constraints of time, obviously, and, and where we want to get to in a way, we haven't got time to go into depth. And this is a great book. I, I know loads of people who only get through Vicar Factory because of this book. Okay, Cafe Theology. It's really accessible. So if you would like to go a bit deeper, and that's our prayer, that's our sense, that we need to get a bit more rooted... I thoroughly, thoroughly recommend Cafe Theology, and I'll be referencing that. And the other one that I just want to reference, uh, because I'm going to be just mentioning it, and as the rest of the series unfolds, more from this book, Loving Mercy by Simon Ponsonby, um, which I'd sort of skated around a few times, and actually only on Thursday this week, David said, have you read Simon Ponsonby's Love Mercy? And I sort of went, mmm. It's one of those ones that I've done the classic sort of, thicker skim reading kind of thing on. So I went back to it, and I'm really pleased I did. And uh, a little bit of reference to that today, but you'll get much more of that, I think, through the series. And that, again, is available from the bookstall at the back. So, autumn. How are you feeling about autumn? Yeah? Uh, you know, for lots of people, autumn, I think Gareth sort of referenced this last week actually when he was speaking about justice in the first of our series. He said that for many people autumn is like the new new year, isn't it? It's the kind of, I certainly have made a resolution about dieting. Uh, you know, I have said I want to just be as fit as Gareth Dickinson in just a few <laughs> months time. I want that sort of honed physique or whoever else I might point out. Uh, of course, there is a problem. There is a problem. It's called food for me. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is for you. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I have more of a savoury touch than a, a sweet touch. I don't know if you're sweet touch or savoury touch. I'm, I'm savoury. Um, there's one particular place. I won't say where it is because other shops are available. Uh, in, in, in the locality where, you know, if I'm driving past and there's a parking space, I, I have to stop. And then I will just buy a few things from, from that shop. It's my new favourite place. You may have seen me tweeting about it. It's my new favourite place. They just do an awesome range of scotch eggs. <laughs> I mean, these are scotch eggs to die for. I mean, I thought I knew and I appreciated and I loved scotch eggs. 
I mean, I did. As you can see, I've invested in this. <laughs> but I did not know, and, and forgive me if you're watching on screen, forgive me, Aylesbury, the Scotch eggs are good. But I have to just say the local Scotch eggs here are a whole nother level of Scotch eggness. <laughs> You know, it's a bit like um, Peter Kay when he does his garlic bread, isn't it? Garlic bread? Bread with garlic? You know, why would you put an egg into scotch? <laughs> but can I just say, an egg in scotch is just... Anyway, I've had this deal with God. I've said, okay, Lord, I need to lose a little bit of weight. I mustn't stop at this particular place. The deal is, if I drive past this village locally, not far from here, if there's a parking space in front, I'll stop and buy. If there isn't a parking space in front, that will be your will. And I will drive on. Well, over the weekend, I ate a number of scotch eggs because there was... A parking space. I had to drive eight times around the village before it became available. Wow, I don't know. So what, yeah, what is the... What does the autumn look like for you? We're, we're following through a, a series. We've chosen a, a verse and it's coming up on the, the screens just to remind us now. It's from this guy Micah, this prophet... This mouthpiece for God in the Old Testament, the first part of our, of our Bibles. And this, this key verse from, from God's word. He has shown you, O mortal. Last week, um, Gareth uh, had, a, had a version of, of the Bible, said, O man, but also made the point, of course, it's, it's person kind, mankind. What is good? We live in a world looking, don't we, for the knowledge of what is good. And God says, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And it's um, just such a rich verse for, his, for us at the beginning the beginning of a new season, whatever that quite means exactly for each one of us individually, whatever that means for us as a church, we have this desire for a, a 2020 vision. Where does God want to lead us as a church family over the next three to five years? Nikki and I have joined you on this amazing journey that's been going on for uh, so many years and we, and we think back to all, the, all those that have gone before and we have this inheritance of God's blessing and God's action but we want to know the future. We have a, a sense of our mission purpose. There's, there's never going to be a time in this church, or I hope any church, where we're not going to want to make disciples of Jesus Christ, committed followers, or to use John Mark Comer language, who was speaking at a festival called New Wine. We're never not going to want to make apprentices of Jesus Christ, who will change communities, and God bless Abby, change nations we're never gonna stop doing that are we but where does God lead us over these next three to five years what will it what will it look like over the next three to five years and so we've we've chosen this verse because often it's described as a, a sort of one verse summary of the whole of the law of God which was the the framework it wasn't a series of don't do this don't do that 
God is not the angry headmaster in the sky, is he? God said, I want to have a relationship with you. I will be your God. You be my people. And I'll give you this framework, the law that's expressed and shared in the first part of our Bibles. And it will, just like, a, like marriage vows, are not a series of little rules that you make a contract between the partners around. And then you, you tick off whether or not, you, you know, how you're doing against the contract. That's not a marriage. A marriage is a, a covenant to people giving themselves to each other. And God is a covenant-making God. He doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't need to offer us a contract. I'm working in the area. I can offer you a deal. That's not God. God is a, a covenant-making God, and he's, he's given a shape to that covenant, and it's in the Old Testament for us in the law, and it's summed up in this wonderful verse. Now, to, to, to explore the verse, to get the richness, each of the words, justice, mercy, humility, is, is rich with meaning in the Hebrew. You can't actually do what every preacher would like to do, which is neatly separate it out into bits. So we're, we're rolling through this verse over these next few weeks as a, as a church. I'll put the slide up. It's a, it's a fruitcake of a, of, a, of a verse, this one. It's all mixed up in together. It's not a neat little layer cake. You know, I do a bit of justice. Nikki does a lot of mercy. And someone else does humility. Which we, we can do that, can't we, with our relationship with God. But this verse, this, this call from God is this, is this mix, this melting pot of truth. And we're going to ebb our way and flow our way through, through, these, uh, through this verse and through these concepts, these understandings about who God is and who we're called to be as his people on the next part of this journey. There is a sense where in this month, as we look at justice and mercy and humility, we're doing some stuff around doctrine, as I've already said. Uh, how do these words, these thoughts help us understand the very nature of who God is, who we believe God to be and who we believe we are in relationship to God? Next month, as we go back through and think through the cycle again, justice, humility, mercy, what does this look like in our lives? There's going to be a sense about, about the ethics, the, the Christian pastoral walk, discipleship walk. And in the third set, justice, mercy, humility in relation to our mission as a church. And then in November... We're going to get a load of you up. You don't know this yet. Because we're going to share together. We're actually going to say, okay, so we've done some foundational work about who God is and who we are. We've done some of that thinking about God, that doctrine, that theology. We've, we've talked about what does it mean to respond to God, to live in relationship with God, covenant, not contract as disciples, justice, mercy, humility. We've talked a little bit about mission, justice, mercy, humility. Now let's share. Now let's share because this church is a complete fruitcake of a church. 
You know, we're not a layer cake church. We're not a Battenberg. Anyone think of any other cake that they like? Chocolate. I know, I heard that. We are a fruit cake of a church because we are rich. We are rich with so many good things. And we, we taste of Jesus when we are mixed together. We're not here to be passengers. We're not here to be consumers of God, are we? We're not here to have um, whoever it may be up on a platform. This is, this is all about what happens next. This is the beginning of the week, not the end of the week. You are the mission partners of this church. You are the raisins and the nuts and the, the fruits, the sugar and the salt. And whatever else goes into a great fruitcake mix. Out, out, out. And so in the last bit of this series, we're going to say, what does the fruitcake look like? What does it mean for justice, mercy and humility? Gareth last week kicked us off. If you haven't listened to it already on the podcast, do. Gareth kicked us off. We're talking about, about the, the background to this book of Micah. He's writing about 700 years before Jesus Christ is walking the earth. God's people are already split into two kingdoms at that point in the story, the north and the south. They're already suffering the consequences of their wrong kind of ways of living. And there's a difference, though, between the two kingdoms, the north and the south. In the north, if you read a prophet called Isaiah, another person writing in the Old Testament, you will see that the consequences of people not living in covenant relationship with their God are already being seen in their society. But where Micah is writing, on the outside, things look good. But Micah is warning the people that the outward show is masking the inward reality. All the religious stuff that they're doing, all the observances, the rituals are masking a problem with the heart. And as Gareth shared with us last week, Micah paints, as quite often happens in Hebrew writing, Hebrew scripture, the Old Testament, paints the picture like a courtroom. And there are all the witnesses around. They're the mountains. The whole of creation, all of earth, stands as the witness. And Micah speaks for God. God God's charges against his people. And then Micah speaks for the people. He imagines what they would try to say to God. God, look, surely these things we are doing, that it would be obvious that whatever you asked us to do, God, we would be willing to do. And then Micah says, no, no. As a, as a mediator, if you want to think about what being a priest means and the ministry that we all share as priests of the high king, priests of Jesus, to be a mediator, to stand in between, to express on behalf of Micah speaking on behalf of and connecting, doesn't tell them anything new in this verse. They already know. God has, has set out the pattern of what it means to live in relationship with him. It's not about the religious outward show. 
It's not a contract way of thinking. It's covenant. It's covenant. What you believe is revealed by how you live your life. I met someone just in the way into church. They're gonna, they've traveled to one part of the world. Tomorrow they're going to travel to another part of the world. For that person, when they check in, as they check in, their faith will reveal itself. As they engage with other passengers in the queue, as they sit beside someone on the plane, as they travel, as they go into that meeting place, as they express themselves in their working life, what they believe as a person will be shown in what they do. Justice, mercy, humility. This is what the people had, uh, had stepped away from. And this justice, as I've said, Michael wasn't sharing anything new with them as Gareth helped us understand. It's there in the fabric, you know, in the creation story. When God says, you have free will, you have choice, I take you seriously. There's this one tree, though, of knowledge. And it represents the understanding of wrong and right. And there is, there's a way to be and there's a way not to be. This justice is, is there in the very... Fabric of creation on Mount Sinai, if you know your Bibles, but basically the, the people of God have been rescued. Moses goes up a mountain, brings back the law as a framework for relationship. And it's about what's right and it's about what's wrong. And it's about living in the right way with God. And the prophets are consistent in their message to the people. And then Jesus comes along and we get into the New Testament. And Jesus again tells the story of justice, of what's right and what's wrong. As Gareth said to us last week, God is justice. He is the absolute standard, the marker, the definition of what is right. There's a verse going up. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. An image from building. And friends, we live in a world that is not ignorant of this truth. Was the other thing that Gareth was helping us to understand as a, a foundation thing. I was reading uh, uh, the Spectator magazine, their leading article just this week. It was on the back of the survey that you may have heard about where the, the uh, British Attitude Social Survey, where it's saying how many people are, say, would say they're religious or not religious. I mean, I wouldn't count in that survey because when any, anyone asks me if I'm religious, I would say no. And on the back of the survey showing the number of people who would describe themselves as being religious, and it's gone below the 50%. Lots of commentators saying, well, is this the end? Is the end of this faith thing? And the Spectator article was saying, no. Because they were saying that if you look in any aspect of our life, actually biblical understanding of right and wrong is the bedrock of our legal system. It's the bedrock still of our morality. And in political discussion and discourse, that Spectator magazine leading article said, the crux of all political debates, what do we do about the poor? 
How do we, how do we share wealth? Can be found in the Bible. So as we were sharing last week, the world is not ignorant. We are not ignorant of the difference between right and wrong. And God sets the plumb line. So thank God for mercy. Yeah? Let's put that slide up. Mercy. The mercy of God. And so... God sets the standard. He is justice. And every one of us falls short. As Gareth said last week, it's not easy and nice and pleasant and warm and fuzzy to preach about judgment. To speak about the truth. That one day, every one of us will stand before God. It is entirely right, in my view, and read Cafe Theology if you want to get some further thought on this. It is entirely right to hope, to hope for every single person. It is entirely right to know that it is all in God's hands. And I do not know. None of us is judge. None of us knows exactly what it will be like. And we live with that hope. But it is also entirely right to notice. To be aware of. And to live in the light of the fact of what the Bible teaches us about judgment. And as Gareth shared last week, any one of us who dares to in any sense put ourselves even a millimetre above the parapet in offering ourselves in any public role knows that we will be judged more carefully, entirely appropriately, it is justice, mercy, and humility. You see, where there is light, there cannot be darkness, can there? Where there is holiness, the set-apartness of God, where there is complete purity, there cannot be impurity. A certainty of heaven is that it will be a place with no sin, the complete absence of anything that is wrong. By God's standard, every single one of us has a problem. But thank God for mercy. Because as we put these words on the screen, as Micah says, chapter 7, verse 18... Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression, the wrongdoing of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. And so there we are. 
the consistent message of Scripture is both about justice and about mercy. Psalm 145 verse 9, the Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. And everything we would need to know about God, everything we need to know about how God actually treats us, in reality, is bound up, of course, in Jesus. He is the one completely filled with the Spirit of God. He is the revelation of God's nature, justice, and God's character, mercy to us. And constantly, constantly, through the story of Jesus, we see that he is moved by compassion, by mercy. Luke 7.13, when the Lord saw her, so when the Lord Jesus sees an individual, he felt compassion for her and said, do not weep. And then, and then when he, community, corporate, Matthew 9.36, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. So thank God for mercy. Because here is justice and here is mercy. Anyone thinking of the hymn? And they are, they are intertwined. And of course, when we look at the cross of Jesus Christ, I don't know if you've done that. Maybe you're here today. You've never really looked at the cross of Jesus Christ. Because on that cross, justice and mercy are intertwined. You see, we do not worship a God. This is a difference between Christian faith and other faiths. We do not worship a God who sets aside his justice to be merciful. Our God is not schizophrenic. He's not in heaven going, ah, oh, I've got to judge them, but I'd love to save them. I'd love to judge them, but I've got to save them. What do I... That is not the God that we worship. We worship a God who through justice demonstrates his mercy. I hope you know this absolute foundational truth. Through justice on the cross. God demonstrates his mercy. If you're here today and you've never really thought about that, you've never had this sense of God himself hanging on a cross for you, would you hear this? Would you feel this? Would you look at this? The penalty of sin is fully satisfied. And removed by God's self-sacrifice. This is not divine, kind of cosmic, you know, put it badly, child abuse. This is God. This is not substitution in the sense that those lovely Mormon people who knock on your doors and the Jehovah Witnesses who knock on your doors believe. This is not God creating something, somebody to be a perfect sacrifice but removed and distant. This is God himself expressing his full divine justice and mercy intertwined in human form. 
on a cross. This is different to what others believe. To what others say about God. Jesus is the Lamb of God. And many of us know it's all rooting that in the picture of sacrifice in the Old Testament. Who takes away the sin of the world. Paul says all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement at one moment through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, his rightness, his justice. Because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness. His rightness at the present time. So as to be just. And the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Romans 3, 24 to 26. We as evangelicals love to stress the personal elements of this. And there we're, we have the sense of the law court. And it's good, this is good, this is right. And we stand before God as rights because of what Jesus has done. Other theological traditions tend to stress the more corporate, community, covenantal, belonging sense of reconciliation brought back into the family. That is good and right, but don't separate them. It's both. We stand right before God. There is no fudge, no behind-the-door deal done by God in himself. We stand right because of what Jesus does on the cross. And we belong in the covenant again. Because of what Jesus has done. Are you here today with a sense of longing for belonging? Are you here today with a sense of guilt that just won't go away? Are you not absolutely sure that you have been forgiven? Are you worried about what will happen if you die today and you are standing before the Lord of God Almighty? You don't have to worry Yes, you should be awesomely struck, humbled. But you can have certainty of the forgiveness of your sins because God is mercy. And you can belong with whatever is your story of how you have been treated, how you have been made to feel by others, how you even feel in this very second now. Even as I speak, you have voices in your head going, it's not really true, he doesn't really believe it. But you can belong because God is mercy. Is the God of the Old Testament the same as the God of the New Testament, Andrew? That's a problem. No, it isn't. When we read in the Old Testament about God's judgment, God's right judgment, it always comes after generations and generations of God's warning. God's desire for people to turn back to him. 
God always, always rescues those who turn back to him in the story of the flood, in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, in any of the other ones that you would like to throw at me. If you read, you will see a story of justice and mercy. God did not have to come up with a plan B with Jesus. Oh no, I've been doing this for centuries. It's going wrong. What do I do? God is rich in mercy. Another slide on the screen. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. It is by grace You have been saved. Do you have any sense of a lack of forgiveness? Any sense of guilt? God does not use guilt as a kind of weapon to bring you into line. If God reveals something to you, he reveals it for a purpose of transformation. He does not reveal it for you to come up and be prayed for, even at the front, with a nice, warm, fuzzy hand on the shoulder that says, let's just help you keep going. God reveals it so that it can be taken away, you can be transformed, you can live free. Do you have any sense of just not quite belonging? You're not sure if you completely believe me when I said we are a glorious fruitcake of a church. You still thought in reality I was going to pull out the card of saying some of us are a bit better than the rest of you. Sorry. Well, if you do, that is not the truth. And if I convey any sense of that to you, that's my fallenness. The truth is, because of Jesus Christ, you belong fully to him. You are special to God. Women, you are princesses, princesses of the Lord God Almighty. Say that especially. Okay. Simon Ponsonby and Michael Lloyd say it much better than that. So what? Okay, so what? So what? Well, the first one is out of this, and I haven't got time to go into these in detail. I don't actually need to because the lovely people coming later in the series will. But some so what's of this. Okay, the first is that we matter to God. Let's stick that slide up. We matter to God. All right? Richard Dawkins will tell you that the world is a matter of chance. If that's true, there is utterly no meaning to life. Because anything we do will not make any difference. Your buddy who you buy a coffee from later today may tell you it's all fate. If that was true, then the world again would be meaningless. And our activity in it would lack purpose. But by the providence of God, our choices matter. We matter. How this church family responds to the call of God, what the nature of our 2020 vision is, matters. 
as Michael Lloyd says, whenever the Holy Spirit is spoken of in his work in the New Testament, it is the language of fellowship. It is the language of partnership. It is the language of sharing in God's mission. It is not the language of control and command and being told what to do like little puppets on a string. This is the doctrine of providence. Turn to your neighbour and say, I have heard about the doctrine of providence. Okay. Second truth. Second truth. There's more in there. Lots more. You know, you just go in in a loving, mercifully, humble, beautiful way and don't let your friends, neighbours and work colleagues tell you that it's all by chance or all by fate. Help them to think through the implications if that was the case. Okay, second one is our response then to this also matters. David cries out to God in the Psalms, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, that's my sins. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sins. Have mercy on me, O God. And the third, so what, I've kind of alluded to these already. First of all, we matter to God. Secondly, our response matters. And thirdly, we have a purpose. Simon Ponsonby says so much more about this and we'll explore it as we go forward. What does the spirit-filled life look like, he says? Living justly and mercifully, just like Jesus. And the spirit-filled, Christ-like church will have her affections stirred for God's affections, just like the early church. We have a purpose in God's great plan. Simon Ponsonby really helpfully, for me, drew out just two final things I want to say. He asked the question whether or not we need a a second conversion of the heart. So using the image and story of Peter, you know, maybe you're here today and you're still kind of thinking about that first Jesus on the cross. But maybe you're here today like me and that conversion story, when I was 13, whenever it was for you, is there and true. But is there a second conversion of the heart that is going to be required over these next few weeks for the lost and the least and the poor? Peter, if you know the story, had to completely change his attitude, didn't he? To those he had thought were unclean. He was completely convinced about who Jesus is. He'd given his life to his Lord. But to use Simon Ponsonby's language, he needed that second conversion of the heart. Gareth referenced this last week. What do I really think about the women who are brought into this town to be used by men during the festival period? What do I really think about refugees? 
What do I really think about people who I might see living in a particular way that's very different? And the second thing that Simon Ponsonby caused me to think about this week, and again, we'll explore this as I say further, we have to stop using the, diff- the excuse, what difference can I make? He uses the example of Mary anointing Jesus' head with perfume. She has done all that she can. Let's stand if we're able to. We've just got a little bit of time before we need to go for children. So let's, let's just try and resist doing that immediately. I know that's... But if we can just hold a moment, it'd be great. Last week, we were initially very corporate in our response. And I think that's, that's right again. Because we're speaking to, we're speaking to our church, aren't we? We're, we're, we're talking about us. And this is a message, so it's not just a message for those of us who want to make a particular response, and that will happen, but this is actually for all of us, isn't it? To be a people of justice, to be a people of mercy. So not because it's magic, but because what we do on the outside can sometimes be so helpful to signify the desire on the inside. I'm going to ask you just to hold your hands out just quietly before you. And I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus Christ that we will be washed now with mercy. Convicted of justice, of rightness, right from wrong, but washed through with mercy. Holy Spirit, would you come? I I just don't want anyone to be left out of this. Wash through us, mercy of God. The love of the Lord Jesus, the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus. Wash through us now.